Two months into Rumi's little life, we were met with the reality that actually the home that we made as a home to welcome Rumi into, we were going to have to let it go. We looked back and God knows how we did it. You know, we, we moved in as a family into a double bedroom. Whilst we whilst we went all in on, on coaching and following what we believed was our purpose and our passion. When it got to that point that Ali was just discussing, should we go all in? I was like, well, yes, because I because I knew it was the the direction that we were to go in. Welcome to the Reparenting Podcast with me, Melissa Maurice. In these interview episodes, I talk to wellness experts that I feel complement the art of reparenting. We discuss how they've used reparenting themselves, as well as talking about their own childhoods and their approach to parenting their children. This time I'm joined by husband and wife, Alistair Gray and Elaria Nadini. They are two of the four behind the Coaching Training Academy Mindful Talent, who've trained hundreds of coaches with their blend of neuroscience and mindfulness. We talk about how they've used both coaching and parenting as an accelerator for their growth. This conversation covers how they've seen parenting unravel workaholism for Ali and for Alaria to be able to release herself from having to be the good girl. This couple have broken down so many conventions through their choices after becoming parents. So this is a fascinating conversation that I love so much. It reflects what I often see in my own Raising Parents program, that in becoming a parent, you embark on the most transformative journey of your life. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Reparenting Podcast, both of you. Ah, Thank you. It's great to be here, Mel. and Lovely to see you. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I was lucky enough to take the first ever online program from Mindful Talent back in 2017 and obviously worked with you and I mentored coaches as well on the program. And I know that you launched the online academy really close to becoming parents yourself and you faced quite a lot of adversity while starting these huge two big chapters in your life at the same time. So could you talk about like what specific challenges did this bring you and what, what it taught you? Where do we begin? Maybe I can share with you the challenges that we faced um, upon launching the business simultaneously as Rumi came into the world, and and then we can share some of the other ones if, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So, like we we both trained as a coach. Uh, so, Alaria trained before me as a coach with Michelle Armstrong, who's obviously our co-founder at the academy. And after Alaria went through the program suggested to me that it would be you know an amazing thing to go through so I was training as a coach and at the same time I just left my old corporate career to set up Mindful Talent and I don't know if you know this Mel you you may know this but when we first set up Mindful Talent it was like 95% recruitment (laughs) into sustainable projects and 5% coaching it quickly became clear that that wasn't the calling. <laughs> like, as I trained to become a coach, you know, Alari and I just had this passion for helping people and working with people, and and it became clear that that was actually the the route that we wished to travel. Uh, the challenge is about a week after I graduated, Rumi came into the world. So Rumi came into the world um, on the second of March and 2016, and at the same time. I was having this realization that recruitment wasn't what we wished to do, even though that was kind of what was seen as a more safer option financially. And it led us to around six weeks or eight weeks after Rumi being born, 
us as a business, as a new startup, running out of money, running out of capital, because a number of recruitment deals fell through. And uh, of course he did. You know, we were being pointed in a direction, but we were maybe ignoring that. So these deals fell through in the business. And suddenly, you know, I said to Larry, I, I think we've to stop doing recruitment. You know, I think we've to follow coaching and and just go all in at this. And Larry was like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think this is what you're meant to do. And and, and I think this is the right thing. And I said, well, the, the only challenge is that we're going to struggle to pay our rent next month. And, you know, and coaching is going to take time to build this up. And so we were met with, you know, two months into Rumi's little life, we were met with the reality that actually the home that we made as a home to welcome Rumi into, which was a place that we were renting in Edinburgh, we were going to have to let it go. And actually we faced the challenge of not having anywhere to go, you know, like... Which must have um, been terrifying, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Alaria can probably speak to this more than, than I can because... I think um, I remember it was on Morningside Road having this conversation with Alaria and she was just incredible. You know, she was like, we have to do this. Like, I know that this is the path that we are to go on and this is the path that you're to go on. Um, and we made that decision. Now, we never had anywhere to go. We had to hand in our notice to our, our uh, tenancy agreement. And then at the time, you know, there wasn't really many options in our family to go and live with them. And so we were kind of like, where are we going to go? We've got a two-month-old baby. And at the time, our close friend, and as you know, one of my mentors, um, Laura, said to me in a conversation, I, I told her our predicament and I was worried and I was stressed and I was saying, what am I going to do? Am I letting my family down? And she said, come and stay with me. <laughs> and so we did. We found ourselves two months into this journey, literally kind of being homeless and being offered to be put up by a friend in a double bedroom in a flat. Uh, and and we ended up doing it. And we look back and God knows how we did it. You know, we we moved in as a family into a double bedroom whilst we whilst we went all in on on coaching and following what we believed was our purpose and our passion, wasn't it? Yeah, setting up the that that must have been terrifying for you as well, because I know how vulnerable you feel um, as a mother, you know, in those first few weeks, those early months. And it must have taken so much courage for you to really trust in Ali, trust in the, the life that, that was unfolding in front of you. It, it was really interesting, actually, because I guess all the way through my career, professional career, you know, I was kind of just going from job to job and just knowing that this probably wasn't what I was meant to do income was always having that kind of search the reason and how I found coaching is because my dad passed away suddenly and so it really kind of shook me out of what I was doing in my my world and made me to kind of ask deeper questions of of what am I doing am I happy is this is this the route that I want to go down? And um, to cut a long story short, um, I ended up knowing that I wanted to change my life, you know, um, and what I was doing. And I wanted to give back to people. And I, I met Michelle Armstrong, had a conversation and was like, yes, this is it. Every sense of my being was was coaching. And so I, I trained with Michelle and it was really nice to know that 
this is what I want to do for life, you know, in some way, shape or form. But then I fell pregnant whilst I was doing the coaching course. Wow. (laughs) And it was really interesting. And then, you know, with Ali then training and then wanting to set up the coaching, I know that having a lot of conversations with my friends that, you know, they will be working and then they have a family and then they start to change and then go through different things and leave the career behind. I kind of did it the opposite way. Like, you know, I suddenly found, wow, like this is it. This is what I want to do. This is the industry I want to be in. And then I fell pregnant. And so when it got to that point that Ali was just discussing, should we go all in? I was like, well, yes, because I because I knew it was the the direction that we were to go in. And yes, it was scary. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty around what was going to happen. But I think there was a point where I was in such a love bubble. You I can't, you know, that love bubble of that yeah. that world of just being a family and having the baby. I was so wrapped up and just in love with Rumi and our family and just so much gratitude. And I think that training as a coach before that really set me up and really helped me, you know, probably navigate something that if I hadn't done probably would have been quite, it was scary, but I just had this deep trust that um, everything was going to work out. And yeah, I just took every day as it came and yeah, there was moments of ups and downs, but, you know, ultimately it it worked out. And I think that's what we've kind of set our life up. We kind of yeah. always just took big risks and kind of <laughs> put everything in there. And um, yeah, I think that's us learning as coaches, you know, moving out of the, the comfort zone and into that learning zone of, of what's going to occur. So, But Al- Alario is amazing. I mean, we've spoke to so many friends about that experience and everyone is in like shock and, and actually in awe and wonder and a little bit taken aback by it. And, you know, at the time there was, you know, some family members were really questioning, you know, is what yeah, we're doing the right thing? That was the hardest There part. was friends questioning yeah. that. And of I was questioning it, like suddenly I've got this amazing woman by my side who's saying, I trust you and let's go for it. And, and I could feel the pressure, like, am I putting my family at risk here? Like, you know, and I really had to tune into that deeper level and say, am I? Like, am I actually putting my family at risk? And is this completely nonsense? I could have walked back into the corporate world and, you know, commanded a big fee because of the level that I was at. And, but Alaria was just unwavering with that support. And, and you know, a part that Alaria never mentioned was one day, which will stick with us both, I think, forever. You know, she, I can't even remember exactly where it was. It was more the words and the energy I was saying, you know, is this right? And Alaria said, Ali, as long as we have love, then we can get through an- anything. That's so and beautiful. It's just wow. so powerful, right? Mm. You know, like, and 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 we both felt that and we, and we still do. You know, we've mm. been through loads of challenges now. But that was certainly one of the biggest ones straight away that we faced as we launched a business. And you could go into that whole experience about how that was really us listening to this deeper guidance you know this knowing this the trust that we had to have with one another the surrender to something bigger than ourselves you know the the belief that we could do this 
whilst also raising Rumi in a in a conscious way that we felt called to to do, yeah, we we made it. You could say we made it difficult for ourselves, but we both look back and we have regular conversations about this and say we wouldn't change any of it for the world, you know. Right? Mm, that's <laughs> you so know? beautiful. Because that was our little, and still is, that's our units, our family, it's our sacred space. Oh, for sure. And that's a huge initiation. And parenting is just full of those kind of initiations, isn't it? I really <laughs> resonate with what you're saying there, actually, Laurie, because... I don't know if you remember, but I trained in 2017 and then I became a mum in 2018 and I had such a like connection to what I wanted to do. And it was really difficult to not, you know, go full force into it. Mm -hmm. So but I think there is that deep connection when you when you find what you're meant to do, right, your sole purpose and also that deep connection when you become a parent where you're like, wow. Mm -hmm. So maybe that is the force that carried you through it. Right. That made you just feel so in flow and so trusting to it all um and it's been it really paid off right it's been amazing to see how successful the academy is and I think it's because it really blends that science and spirituality together mm-hmm. um and I really I find that really important important in my parenting style so I'm really conscious that my daughter understands you know like how to speak her truth and how to be connected to her emotions and like ask those bigger questions so how do you think your work and philosophy as coaches impacts your role and approach as parents? Rumi, and you, you've met Rumi, right? So Rumi's such a confident yet sensitive little girl. And we've known that since she was born, I mean, she never stopped talking when she was born. Like even as a baby was constantly making noises and was interactive and was very awake and aware. And, and you know, our experience of of being coaches and training as coaches has helped us nurture what we see as innate in Rumi. So like she loves to talk and she loves to make believe and she has an incredible imagination and she just wants to play a lot, but she is also sensitive and she has a lot of emotion. She can experience quite difficult emotions for a small child when she sees pain or hurt or suffering or um, I, I would say that one of the, the greatest things that has come from us being trained as coaches and also being on, you know, a, a spiritual path has been able to to recognize that in Rumi and 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 and, and not to push it away or, or reject it in any way, shape or form, but to welcome it and to nurture it and to encourage her to feel, you know, and 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 then to help her put words to her feelings and to express that openly and to let her know that it's safe to do so and you know, I think we're great parents and I'm really proud of who I am as a dad and I'm in awe of who Alari is as a mum. Like, we do a great job and that's because we listen deeply to Rumi. Those are some of the, the skills that we learned in coaching that have definitely impacted the way that we parent, you know, listening, being present, encouragement um, and, and allowing space for Rumi to to find her own way as well as, you know, us doing our best to guide her as well. Yeah, I I think there's a lot in there for for me personally. I kind of lost myself in the way of the world. You know, I was always um, projecting who I think I should show up as. Um, And coaching really stripped me back to present myself as my authentic self. Um, And I didn't want to become a mother 
and say one thing but energetically feel the other the other and mean the opposite you know so really showing up as my authentic self um, really connecting to my truth. So when I speak my truth or when I'm explaining something, it's in alignment with my energetic self. That has really helped me shape her to be like, whoever this is, whoever your authentic self is, like, let's expand that. Let's let's really um, honor that little person because they're the most authentic self they are you know when they're growing up and that ages you know up to six seven years old before they go through the individualization process and coming out of those theta brainwaves is that that she's so secure in who that is and really encouraging that element and so um, that was a big thing, the raising the awareness, curiosity as well, like asking really great questions and being curious about what's coming up for her, you know, curious about the world. And she asks big questions. Sometimes I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you with this one. <laughs> On to that as well, because and Alari, you're so great at modeling this for Rumi as well. And, and, and I think that has helped me of like being really vulnerable with Rumi as well like we're not perfect humans yeah, <laughs> like we make, we make mistakes and and we talk to her about that we show Rumi that if Alari and I have a disagreement we're teaching Rumi like disagreements are okay Rumi like disagreements are going to happen in life but the thing that we recognize that's most important is that we also show her us reconciling you know, we we show her that even if we've had an argument or we've disagreed or there's an energy that Rumi, of course, can pick up on, then we show us reconciling. We show her that our love is unconditional. So no matter what's occurred or whatever we felt in a moment about one another, that the love remains. And 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 I think that's been a really powerful, you know, way of showing Rumi that yeah, you're going to. You're going to have disagreements in life. There's going to be conflicts. There's going to be moments where you feel hurt and pain and 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 that's okay. And you're modeling her way out of it, right? Which is so important. I'm sure you come up, you know, with lots of clients that are conflict averse because of experiences they haven't had like that, you know? So I think that's really powerful. And what's really coming through is that you're just allowing her to be as she is, and totally authentic as she is. And you talked a lot about, you know, removing conditioning, which is, and all of this stuff is basically reparenting. It really is. How do you think parenting has changed the way you treat yourselves? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's really helped me being kinder to myself um, and learn to speak to myself the way that I speak to Rumi. Um, And yeah, I think just being kinder that you're just doing the best that you can in the circumstances that you've got and you don't have a you don't have a rule book you don't you don't love parenting it's like the toughest job out there you know and um and that you're learning you're always always learning and yeah you make mistakes but can you learn from them and can you know that kind loving voice to yourself is just going to help you grow um and more awareness about looking after myself I think as well because I know that you can't pour from an empty cup so knowing when I'm reaching that element you know of I need some time I need some space Ali's amazing he's just so I've got this that's fine you know and and making sure that 
I'm looking after myself and I'm doing all my practices to make me the best mother that I can and implementing that and not because it's quite hard because you can be that you think as a mother you just give 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 and you forget about yourself and then you know that has an impact so those two things I think just knowing when to look after myself taking the time um, and having a kinder loving compassionate compassion voice towards myself I was a workaholic you know um really was actually and it's taken me a long time to recognize that and um, and part of it was because I cared. Naturally, I do care. I, I love doing good work and, and I love being of service. And part of that was also, you know, a fear that was driven by it, you know, whether that was fears about money, whether it was fears about, you know, uh, insecurities of not being enough or not good enough or trying to prove myself. So there was a load of stuff tied up into that identity around work. And, you know, since becoming a parent, I realized that if I was going to continue in that same vein, it was at the risk of not having the connection to my family that I really yearned for. And, and actually that I knew deep down inside was most important mm-hmm. to me. Um, and so it, it it's taught me so much to move away from that, which I've moved away from completely now. You know, I love my work and I'm so inspired by it, but my, my family are a priority and, and, and putting that, first has been like life-changing for me because the relationship I have with Rumi it is a beautiful one you know we have just an amazing relationship and there was a time where I was traveling five days a week into London and I noticed the impact it had on my relationship with Rumi and Alaria and it was a something actually a nursery teacher Rumi said she went to a Montessori nursery and I showed up one day to take Rumi in and the teacher, she, you know, fair play to her, she was certainly not mincing a word. She said, <laughs> you know, it'd be, ni- it'd be nice to see you here more often, Al- Al- Alistair. <laughs> and I don't know if she knew the impact I had, but it did. It hit me right in the heart. And, and I was like, she's right. And I remember coming back and saying, do you know what she said? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, but, you know, I've got the awareness that then it didn't take me long. And then I went back to Larry and was like, she's right, though. I want to be doing more of the school runs. I just got into the habit of like being present and showing up for so many other people, but, but realizing actually my family mean the world to me. And and so COVID came around and, you know, the pandemic, and I know that caused so many challenges for many people. And, mm. but for us, it gave me a gift. It gave me the reminder that actually Rumi and Alaria are the most important things in my life. And, and, um, and then, you know, we went traveling and, and so that's becoming a parent has just changed the way that I look at life and, so that's what it's taught me to to prioritize this thing that I love so much and also to become more considerate of others and especially, you know, Alaria and, and Rumi. I really deeply resonate with all the points that you raised. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone listening will too, right? It's kind of universal parenting stuff that just helps us grow up, right? <laughs> And you mentioned there about living around the world. So for those kind of first six years of Rumi's life, you've lived so many places like Bali, Costa Rica, Mexico, all over. So what influenced that decision to to travel as a family and what impact do you see it having now that you're back home in Scotland? Well, I can tell you that the pinpoint time when it was quite funny, we were lying in our flat in Edinburgh and I just done the course I was pregnant with Rumi 
Ali had handed in your notice. I was about to start the course. You were about to start the course, were you? Yeah. And then um, we were lying and we were thinking like, what do you want to do? What 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 is the dream? What is the future? What would life look like? You know, we were just so on point. It was like to, to have just freedom in our work, to get up and travel and into world school, you know, and I I was brought up and um, my dad is Italian, my mom's Scot- Scottish, and we would just have summers in Italy. And I just loved that element, that different culture, you know, that I was brought up with in that different aspect in a different language. And, you know, I was like, Ali, you like, loved to travel. He traveled loads of places before I met him. And it was like, I just want to have that freedom. And 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 we we also, you know, we we'd felt a draw to Bali, which is where we traveled the first time at 18 months. Rumi was 18 months. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, like we were starting a business and you know, at that time we'd moved out of her friend's double bedroom and we'd moved into a flat in Glasgow and it was a one-bedroom flat and you know, it was a, a nice flat. I was traveling to London still at that time, and there was those two occasions when we were in Glasgow and when we lived down south that I was traveling quite a lot to London. And then just that realization where we were like, this doesn't feel like what we imagined. And so what if we were to go somewhere? Where would we go? Because like Alaria said, we'd already planted the seed that we wanted to travel as a family. And so we ended up very intuitively and quickly feeling like Bali is the place that we wanted to go to. And then we went there originally for a month and we ended up staying nine months. You know, part of the reason was that the quality of life that we had in Bali was incredible. You know, yeah. we were opening Rumi up to this new culture that, uh, as you know, Mel, you've been there, that the love for children and the openness and the celebration of children and also just the spirituality that's present in Bali. Yeah. You know, that- we, it kind of felt like for us, that was like, wow, this is an expansion. We've suddenly went from this one bedroom flat in Glasgow to this expansive mm-hmm feeling of possibility and then you know we've continued to grow the business from there and and so the big word for me is trust I guess like um going through the experience now I just have such a trust in our family and our relationship you know between you and I and our relationship with Rumi um that whatever happens we'll always figure it out you know like there'll always be a way, there'll always be a choice, there'll always be an option. Um, and that I can't humanly possible, possibly account for everything that could happen. It's not like you just can't. <laughs> so I have to just let that go. Okay, so I'd love to talk now about you as children and your childhoods and how they shaped you. What do you feel the need to do differently? Be the chain breakers in your family? How long have we got? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. My my parents might listen to this back, but um, you know, I I think there's there there are a lot of things you know that I I want to break, and and that's no criticism of my parents. It was a very different time, a very different circumstance. Um, My parents were really young when they had my sister and I. 
So like it was a different time and, and, you know, I've done a lot of healing work around my childhood, as you know, and, and so there's just a deep sense of love and appreciation and gratitude for my parents, you know, and what they went through is, you know, raising children in the eighties, you know, we were a low income, you know, family, we were, we were, you know, in poverty for the first few years of our life. And, and so they faced a lot of challenges. And, and, and I think some of the things that I would like to break and that we are breaking is, really understanding the child you know like there was points where my behavior was probably misunderstood in a lot of ways between my parents and also family members and, and actually in society a lot of the time I got in a lot of trouble when I was younger and at points definitely faced rejection and a sense of abandonment because ultimately I felt misunderstood you know I, I had this you know a lot of emotion and energy and I was sensitive I still am as a, as a human being which I think is now a superpower right it's something that I see in Rumi and, and wish to nurture but that's something I, I really want to break you know and 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 part of that was that my parents were running busy jobs they had busy lives they were making ends meet so you know they're, they're probably the, the understanding wasn't developed because there wasn't much time for that to be developed you know there was there was a need to put food on the table there was a need to try and put clothes on our back so I feel like for me that's one of the most important things it's not to misunderstand our daughter, you know, not to see behavior as a, a, a thing that we then associate or identify her with, but instead to help us understand her better, to, to, to go deeper and say what's really going on under the surface if Rumi is feeling an energy or behaving in a certain way or expressing in a certain way, like what's going on under the surface for her? And that leads to, you know, a depth of parenting that, I think I speak for us both that really matters to us. So yeah, that would be one uh, generational pattern that, that we're breaking and, and that I felt inspired to break. Yeah, the one that comes to mind for me, and again, I understand, you know, where it comes from because I understand now um, my mum better and, and we can now have deeper conversations and, and everything. Um, but it was the good girl, you know, um, kind of image as in my mum was very proper, you know, one should be a lady and one should be seen and not heard and one cannot um, discuss emotion and one has to present that oneself in in a very ladylike manner and um, there's certain subjects that are off, you know, you can't talk about sex, you know, periods, um, anything like that. And it was just that good girl and uh, you had to, to be presented in some way because that is how you should be. And um, yeah, I think that it doesn't, what I know now, it just doesn't work like that, you know, and that it's really hard to um, uphold that as much as you possibly can. And there's so much messiness. And and so coming back to what I said earlier, that authentic self, you know, and not having to, that's what I just want Rumi just to be so connected and so knowing of who she is at a young age and not to lose that and you know be strong in that so she's not going to be influenced by 
by peers and and other things that she'll come across and that she's just got that deep connection and all of it's relevant and all of it's valid and she's beautiful in all ways and emotions and everything that she shows up to be in in the world and that I will always be there for her um, in a really non-judgmental place, you know, and yeah, I think that's the one thing for me um, that comes up. There's a whole lot more, but again. (laughs) (laughs) But it's amazing. I love that question because when we reflect on that, you see that there's been a mainstream change, like culturally as well. You know, yeah. I really uh, I resonate with what you were saying, Ali. I had similar experiences, and I think the way that we treat children now is changing, and we're starting to understand the behaviours of communicating something deeper and getting more emotional awareness and, and getting rid of that sort of form, you know, nervous system, like people-pleasing, having to be the good the good person, not just the good girl, right? Mm-hmm. We're all becoming more authentic, hopefully, which is amazing for the next generation. And you spoke earlier, Laurie, about, um, losing your dad suddenly sadly and you've both spoken really openly in the awakening love series about death mm. and about viewing death differently how do you mm. approach these type of conversations with your daughter is that there's a big one and one that we constantly check in and and yeah, talk about don't we? we we're really open as parents yeah. right so we kind of made this commitment that if Rumi asks about things, then we're going to, as best we can and in a way that is appropriate, explain to her or speak about the things that she asks about. And uh, there was a couple instances with, with Rumi around death that probably are quite important to mention. I was driving Rumi to nursery one morning in, in the car and we listened to to uh, Krishna Das, who's a kirtan singer, you might know him I well. Love him, yeah, yeah. So we're we're singing along to this, and it would be our thing when we're driving to the nursery. Actually, the Montessori nursery. I think after the the teacher had said we'd like to see you here more often. I was, she would have been she, three. She, she would have been three at that time. Mm-hmm. I think so. We're driving, and she suddenly said, "Dad, is Krishna Das alive?" And I said, "He is alive." Yeah, she said will he die? And I said, he will die, yeah. He'll, he'll die, Rumi. She went, and then she paused, and Rumi's a deep thinker. This is at three. And she said, will you die, Dad? Now I'm driving to school, and I'm suddenly met with this moment where, what do you do? You, I had to answer honestly, and, and obviously I didn't have much time to think or prepare, and I said, you know, Rumi, I will die. I said, but not right now. You know, like daddy's going to be around and, but I will die. And and then it went quiet and I looked at my wing mirror, Mel, and I can still see that to this day, she just started having tears coming down her little face. And Alaria was away for a week on a course at this time. So now I'm thinking, have I just said the right thing? Is this, you know, is this appropriate? But anyway, we get into school and, you know, I, I open up the back door and I, I you know, I just said, listen, I, I know you're upset, darling, but, you know, I wanted to be honest with you that, you know, every one, every human, like we will die at some point. And what I'm not saying is that I'm going to die now or today or, but you asked me a question and I wanted to, to be honest with you. And I said, but 
Rumi, it's okay to feel like this upset that you're feeling. It's very normal to be upset when you think about someone who you love and, and them dying. Uh, and, and we can talk about this more. So anyway, I put her into nursery and she, she seemed okay at that point. She was saying, okay, dad, like, uh, like I don't want you to die. But, you know, so she was already starting to process it. And I, I dropped her into the nursery and I left and I called Ilaria because I knew it was before her course. And I said, no, this has just happened. And I wanted to run it by you, which is what we do often. We'll coach one another. And then, and then I said, maybe I should phone the school. And Ilaria said, you should definitely phone the school. And so I phoned the, the school and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know a conversation that Rumi and I had um, about death. And they said, ah, oh, this explains it. Yeah, Rumi came into school and was already saying, you know, my dad is going to die once someday. <laughs> so like that was kind of like the first conversation I had with Rumi. And and she'd also been really curious about death of her nonno, which is obviously Alaria's dad. And so it opened up this container for us to start exploring death with Rumi and 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 that's been ongoing you know she talks about death she asks about it she's curious about it I think it it helps from our perspective that we have a a spirituality actually we have a faith and for us that means that the the topic of death has become one not to be avoided but instead one to embrace and, and and to explore ways in which we can communicate that to Rumi where she feels safe. And so she'll now say, you know, uh, mummy and daddy, you know, when you die, you know, and, and then when I die, will, will we be together and will we, you know, be united? And, and, and we say, of course, you know, this is, you know, this is where it, 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 it will lead to. So I think we've opened it up in ways that, we allow her to feel and express. We don't try and shut down her sadness nor her curiosity. And then equally when we've met, you know, when we've had a conversation that may have felt it could have been handled better, we check in with each other, don't we? And we talk about it. I think that um, it's it's been interesting because it has evolved to obviously when she was three and to, to where she is now and um we have um been having a lot of these conversations around death and she's asking bigger deeper questions but again it's it's beautiful because like you say we we have a we have a spirituality we have a belief in something bigger that opens that up as well to have a conversation with her around that we we've also consulted friends and we've got books we we went out and we got some really great um children's books that that talk about death and um in that way and probably um can um say it in a way that I hadn't thought of or gives it another layer and what what I noticed with Rumi is that um it's not something that we talk about and then it's kind of over it's she likes to ruminate about it she she has quite a deep thinking and curiosity about it and just comes up with the most amazing questions and in a way, I, I guess that um, it's really helped me with my own journey um, with death and um, 
definitely having a fear of death and an attachment, you know, and working on that. And um, again, I talked about saying one thing and then energetically putting out something different. Um, And so I'm aware of that. So it gives me the opportunity to reflect, to also do the work um, because I'm probably definitely not a hundred percent there I think there's still work to be done um and so I think I owe that to her you know um to to dig deep in myself to um explore what that looks like and what that means to me and um there's so many ways that you can go with it but again um it's interesting because I really I, I work with this with my clients as well, you know, my coaching clients. Um, but it's learning new ways of language to describe this to a child, you know, um, because I'm like, I know what I would say an adult, but like, how do mm. I change that and bring it into something more simplistic and it's just trial and error. You know, I'm like, right, if she asks about it, I'm going to try this or I'll look it up or have conversations around that. But yes, I think, again, it's just presence, holding the space, you know, um, and if there's anything that I don't know, I tell her, I don't know, but why don't we try and discover it together? You know, like we could go to the library and we could get some books or we can do something or we can, you know, what do you think? And there's other ways of teachings. And so you can get new inspirations about that, you know, way of communicating. And um, yeah, and I think also it's it's a pinpoint in her age as well. Again, I, I researched this between six and seven. It's really, really common for children to start really exploring and thinking about death because they are going through this individualization. So, you know, up to six years old, they're one with everything. They're not separate from, from anything. And then suddenly when they become six and seven, they start to realize, oh, well, I am a separate self and this is different. And so they start to um, have these questions and everything. So, yeah, I think there's definitely more to come with with that. And I think, you know, one of the things that we found helpful is also the relationship to nature. You look at nature and you see how nature has those cycles of life and death. And so we've been using that a lot to speak to Rumi about the nature of life and death and how it's quite normal, actually, that death plays a significant part in this life cycle that we're in. So yeah, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it's really powerful. So now there's so much more mainstream awareness around coaching, mindfulness, wellness. What are your hopes for this next generation of children and of parents? My hope is simple. My hope is that we connect to that shared essence Mm. that is in with the, you know, within each of us that, that for me, I describe it as love, you know, and if we as parents can experience more love with one another and ultimately then with, you know, our friends and our community and our family and our society and our young people and our children can experience more love within themselves for themselves and ultimately then to extend that through compassion and kindness, then everything else kind of solves itself, you know, like going back to Laria's statement, if we have love, we can get through anything. I don't think that's just a mantra for our family. I think that's a mantra for society and our civilization. If we have love, we can get through anything. And so 
that would be my hope that as we continue to evolve and become more conscious as parents, as our children become more conscious, that the natural byproduct of that is more love, kindness, and compassion in our world. And if you have a, a world built on that, then you are beginning to create a really significant shift in our planet and our evolution as a species as well. Really powerful. It's, it's beautiful. It's, I mean, we're, we're totally shared on that. And it is, you're born this beautiful whole um, being, soul, this essence of of pure present awareness which is love peace and happiness and yes we go through a, a cycle of life where you know um we may lose touch along the way but if we can have the foundation of knowing how to always come back to that place you know um, and knowing that we are love that we are pure loving awareness that is the place that we don't forget that we don't come disconnected to and if we are openly talking as a world we're teaching it in our schools you know we're having these conversations with parents and we're understanding how to help our young people get back to that place that um, that's going to just really have the ripple effect and transform the world. And um, it's the essence of not forgetting on who we are because it's just always coming back to that place is in everything and honouring honoring the, the cycle of, of life, but not losing that disconnect. Yeah, totally agree. Wouldn't that be amazing to see that, right? It's actually yeah. really simple. <laughs> really simple. <laughs> yeah. Please tell listeners where they can find you and how they can work with you, perhaps. Yeah, thank you. So we obviously run a company called Mindful Talent, who Mel, you trained with. Uh, we, we, as part of Mindful Talent, run a coaching academy where we train professional coaches. So you can find us on Instagram at Mindful Talent. Um, you can also find our website, www.mindfultalent.coach. And then a lot of the stuff that we're building this year um, are going to be through our personal channels as well. So on Instagram, you'll find me as at Alistair underscore Gray. And we're going to be launching some really cool experiences this year around Awakening Love that you mentioned, uh, which are free online meditation um, experiences and gatherings. They take place every other week on a Monday. And so if people wish to sign up to that, they can visit uh, my website, which is www.alistairgray.com and then backslash awakening hyphen love if they want to join those sessions. They're completely free and we've got a really uh, incredible community coming together for those experiences. Yeah, I can attest to that. Really powerful. <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming on the Reparenting Podcast. I feel like we could have spoken for a lot longer. There's so much yeah. coming out of this conversation. So, yeah, I really appreciate all of your wisdom, all of your depth, all of your vulnerability. Thank you so much. Thank thank you. you. Thank you so much, Mel. And I just want to say that I love what you're you're doing and bringing awareness here. It's very much needed in the world. And it's lovely to see you following that and that passion and, and getting people to have these types of conversations. So thank you. 
you've been listening to the Reparenting Podcast with me, Melissa Maris. I'm a reparenting coach and I run various programs on this topic. I also hold a regular mother's circle called It Takes a Village. If you enjoyed this episode, please do hit subscribe. And if there's someone you feel would benefit from hearing it, please do pass it on. For more information about the guest on today's show, you can head to the show notes or reparentingpodcast.com. This podcast was edited and produced by Emma Tyndall. Thanks so much for listening.